0: So we thank the Lord. Let not your heart be troubled. Let not your heart be troubled. You have a troubled heart tonight, or maybe you know someone that does. And the Lord's going to repeat this twice in this chapter. Now in the context, as we mentioned this morning, I'm sure their hearts were quite agitated, as mine would be, after being with the Lord for three and a half years in and. And just amazed. I mean, we're going to see him face to face, but we haven't seen him yet. And to be in his presence for that long and that close to him, and then to have him say, "But I'm I'm leaving." Like I told the Jews, the religious leaders, I'm leaving. I, now I'm telling you, I'm leaving. And they, well, that's okay for you to say it to them, but what not to us? I, what's going to happen to us? And already to that point, they were recognizing the hostilities of the re- religious leaders. You Remember, Thomas had said earlier, Lord, if we go back to Jerusalem, they're going to kill you. <laughs> and they'll probably want to kill us, too. I mean, we're kind of linked together in this. And now you're going to leave, and and what are we going to do? And so this is so integral. So we see then in, in these verses... Uh, 1 through 6, our Lord is preparing their hearts with with perspective on this life. Look, I've got it all taken care of. Your future is guaranteed and secure. Do you know that, beloved? Those of you that know the Lord, do you know your future is guaranteed and secure? That you have a place that He is uh, preparing in the New Jerusalem. What he calls here the Father's house. He says, Let not your heart... This is 14.1. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. That, don't miss that. In other words, you believe in God and they would... But believe also in me. I am the second person of the Godhead. And in the Godhead we are in perfect agreement... Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Beloved, this is important. We are Trinitarian. We believe in the Trinity. The Bible teaches in a triune Godhead. And you say, well, all Christians believe that. No, they don't. Probably 80% of this world's religions, including Christendom, large sections of Christendom, don't believe in the Trinity. They're what we call Unitarian. They believe in God. And they and Jesus is just a high creature or however they want to say it, but but the deity of Jesus Christ is so important we're still in our sins if he's not God. And and we may be called to die for that. Revelation twelve, eleven, you remember, tells it that they died for the word of God and the testimony of specifically Jesus. And we know in Revelation 20 about beheadings. Well, that's already started in the Middle East, beloved. It's been going on for 20 years and in northern Africa. And the issue is Jesus. Talk about the Holy Spirit. Talk about God. Talk about theology. Talk even about the Bible. But don't mention that name. (laughs) And yet it's the one name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. There isn't any other name. I hope you're convinced of that because if you're not, work on it in your heart and mind this week and be convinced of it. And if you're believing in Him and His disciple, He says to you, in my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. So my ascension, I'm going Back to heaven and I'm going there to prepare a place for you. In other words, not that I've forgotten you, not at all. I'm going, I've got you in mind. (laughs) I'm preparing a place for you personally. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. This is poetic, isn't it? How he puts it together. I will come again and receive you to myself and that's exactly what Paul teaches in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and in 1 Corinthians 15 we will go to be with him he doesn't come to the earth to receive us he receives us to him in the air that's what they teach in both those sections so this is in perfect consistency with that i will If if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am, there you may be also. And where I go, you know, and the way you know. And that leads the Apostle Thomas to ask a question. And while Thomas is often mocked as doubting Thomas, he didn't stay doubting Thomas, and really he spoke in words what the other ones questioned too. They just weren't brave enough to ask the Lord. So I'm glad he asked this question. I'm glad he asked the other questions he says too. If you had Thomas says to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. So how can we know the way? Someone has said, if you don't know where you're going, for sure you won't get there, <laughs> right? Once, you may get a lot of places, but you won't get where you're going if you don't know how to get there. Good question. And look at our Lord's answer. It's one of the verses we often use in evangelism, 14, 6. Jesus said to him, I am the way. I'm the way to glory and life and heaven. I am the truth. I personally am the way. I personally am the truth and all life is resident in me. That's exactly what John says in the beginning of his gospel, chapter 1, right? In him was life. And the life was the light of men. And then he makes what the world will tell us is an exclusive statement. And it is an exclusive statement. But it's not you or my exclusive statement. It's the, it's the Lord Jesus' exclusive statement. No one, say it with me, No one comes to the Father except through me. That's answering the question, how do we get there? Except through me, says the Son of God. Well, that to me... There are a lot of other verses, Acts four twelve, and a lot of other verses that bring that truth in too. But you couldn't have it more clearly said and more succinctly said than that. There isn't any other way to the Father. So if you're witnessing to someone, you're talking to someone, maybe a friend or a relative, and they're talking about, yes, and this, you know, and we have this ritual and we have this ceremony. Yeah, but how are you getting to the Father? How are you getting to the mansions? That's the question. Because the Bible says, and show them the verse not what we say it's what the word of God says you don't get to the father and to the father's house except through me if you had known me he says in verse 7 you would have known my father also from now on you know him and have seen him now you you see that's a little bit of a shift in the subject Now he's moved from perspective on him going to prepare a place for them. Now he's moved into the truth of the privileged access, especially in prayer, because he'll introduce prayer in the end of this section in verses 7 to 14. If you had known me, verse 7, you would have known my father also. This is an important truth. I had a brother come up to me one time and and say... You destroyed my whole vision of God. My whole image of God is that ultimately I was going to see this gray haired man with a white beard and white hair. And and, and now, that's well, did you get that from the Bible or did you get that from some Sunday school book that was written and drawn by some human imagination? The Father is Spirit. That's right here in John chapter 4. The Holy Spirit is Spirit. Jesus is the fullness of the Godhead. What? Bodily. The Bible's very clear on this, and our Lord is clear about this here. And if you're not satisfied with seeing the Lord Jesus, you need to step back and see, well, then who are you a disciple of? Are you ashamed of Him? <laughs> you don't want to come to the Father through Him? You've got another way to come to Him? See? We need to ask, we got to question the foundations. Because we don't base our faith in some Sunday school material that isn't following the Word of God, we base our faith in the Scriptures, see, the Word of God. And the person of the Lord Jesus, he says, I'm the truth. And that's an exclusive statement. So Philip, the Apostle Philip, Lord, show us the Father and it will be sufficient for us. We have faith in you. We believe that you are God. But show us the Father, and that will help our faith a little bit here. We're wondering, and maybe you've been wondering that too, what the Father looks like. We've wondered all our lives. We've imagined Jehovah Elohim of the Old Testament. What is, what is he like? What was he like when he appeared to Moses up there on Mount Sinai? What, what was he like when he appeared to Elijah? Elijah. And look at our Lord's answer. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, Philip, and yet you have not known me? He who has seen me has seen the Father. Did you get that? He who has seen me has seen the Father. You see, there's perfect Unity in the Godhead. When you see the Lord Jesus, you see the Father and you see the Spirit. Because the Godhead is unified, perfect, in perfect agreement all the time. So how can you say, show us the Father? You're looking at the Father is what he's saying, isn't he? So how can I show you someone else? You're looking at the Father. And, you know, their mind or trying to process this, and maybe yours is too. It's a powerful statement, and it requires meditation, doesn't it, to think through what he's saying. Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father in me? What does he mean? I am in the Father and the Father in me. He's saying that the Father and the Son are in perfect harmony and agreement and whatever the Lord Jesus says, He's speaking for the Father. And whatever He does, the works, the miracles particularly, He's doing with the Father. And that's what verse 10 is telling us. He says, The words that I speak to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Now, you say, well, if he's God, why couldn't he speak on his own authority? That's a fair question to ask. And the answer is, well, he could speak on his own authority as a son of God. But he voluntarily set aside the prerogatives of deity. That's back in chapter 1 of John. You see how the book is unified. It's all together. The Lord Jesus set aside the prerogatives of deity to demonstrate submission to the Father To all of us, to demonstrate as the second man, the last Adam, what Adam didn't do. Adam didn't submit to the Father. Adam went his own way, right? And he he fathered a whole humanity in his image that wants to go their own way. Isaiah 53. And our Lord Jesus is the Father of a new humanity, hence the second birth, hence the need to be born again. And He is making people in His image. Colossians chapter 3, right? And so everyone in this room, everyone on this planet right now today is either in Adam or in Christ. And... You're in Adam when you're physically born. You didn't choose. I didn't ask to be in Adam. You were born physically. You were born in Adam, and you got Adam's nature. Sorry. I didn't ask for that either. I would have, I hope, asked to opt out of that. But we didn't have that choice. The choice we have is with regard to the second man, Jesus Christ. And that's where the gospel comes in. We want the world to know. They may not want Him. That's their choice. But if they don't know, they can't make the choice. Right? And so they need to know that there's a second man, Jesus Christ, and He, through the miracle of regeneration, can give us His life and bring us into relationship with Him and the Father for how long? Till we sin? No, forever. Forever. Because we're covered in the robe of His righteousness forever. Are you feeling secure now? (laughs) The more we think of these things, it ought to motivate us to praise His glorious name for doing this for us, for giving us the option (laughs) and coming to Him. So he says in verse 11, Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me just because I told you so. It's my word, and you should believe that. Or else, believe me for the sake of the works. If you can't believe what I'm telling you, look at the miracles and, and tell me how those miracles happen if the Father's not working in me. See, Particularly the raising of the dead. Lazarus. Believe me because I'm giving you the word of God or believe because the miracles or better yet because of both. Who I am, what I do. My words and my works. And that leads verses 12 to 14 then. He's still talking about the privilege of access because He and the Father are one, because they're in perfect agreement, and because we believe in Him and in the Father. He says, Most assuredly, verse 12, I say to you, He who believes in me, remember that's how he started, He believe in me in verse 1, He who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. You beginning to see the privilege now? The works that you do, the Lord Jesus, we will do? Yes. And greater works than these he will do because I go to my Father. You see how increasingly this ramps up? in greatness, and in awe. What do you mean greater works? Not greater in quality, greater in quantity. Because as part of his submission to the Father that the Lord Jesus voluntarily chose to take, he limited himself to Palestine. He could have traveled to the imperial capital In Rome, if he wanted to, he could have traveled to the intellectual capital in Athens, but he confined himself to the land of Israel. This was the master plan of the Father and the Son in eternity past, and he's going to fulfill it in every detail. And so he confined himself in a human body. He couldn't be in two places at once. But the Father can be because he's spirit. The Holy Spirit can be because he's spirit, you see. I know. You're, you're squinting because you say, you know, because we think bodily. That's all we have. We're not spirit in the sense of well, our spirit is in our body, but it's confined to a body. We're not disembodied spirits, and so we don't relate to disembodied spirits. That's okay. But we do need to believe and apply what he says here in his word because it's true, it's reliable. So he says, greater works will you do. And you say, what kind of works? Well, when the gospel crossed the Aegean Sea with Paul and Silas and Timothy over to Philippi and Thessalonica and ultimately to Athens and Corinth, those were greater works in the sense of the gospel spread. Thomas ultimately, we believe, according to legend, went all the way to India. There's a monument to his being persecuted under death there near Madras, is it, where the monument is, or it's near Kerala, just north of Kerala, they tell me. And I met an Indian brother years ago that said, we have believers in our family that we can trace all the way back to the first century to Thomas. <laughs> pretty remarkable. I can't go back more than two or three generations in my family, but they, he knew there was a, a not everyone in the family, but every generation... A born-again Christian going all the way back to Thomas. (laughs) Greater works shall he do. Because I go to my... What does he mean, because I go to my Father? Well, if he didn't go to the Father, he couldn't send the Holy Spirit, right? John 7. He had to ascend to the Father before the Father could send, and the Son both sent the Holy Spirit. And see, the Holy Spirit is in equal... Standing in the Godhead, but he submits himself to the Father and the Son. So this whole issue of the problem of submission in 1 Corinthians 11, there's no problem with submission in the Godhead. And in fact, the Apostle Paul says, that's the example. That's what you're to model. That's what submission about is about here, is to model submission in the Godhead, Right? So if the Lord told me to wear an orange suit, I wouldn't. I've never worn an orange suit, but if the Lord told me to wear an orange suit to demonstrate submission to the Lord and the Godhead, I'd do it. I'd be happy to do it. It's it's an easy enough thing to do, right? Because I love Him and I want to demonstrate His submission to the Father. If He didn't submit to the Father, He wouldn't have died on the cross. If He hadn't died on the cross, where would you and I be? Still in our sins, headed to a lost eternity. And the blackness of darkness forever, right? And then he adds in verse 13, And whatever you ask in my name, this is prayer, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. So when we pray and we ask in the name of the Lord Jesus, it's not just a formula that we attach to the end of our prayers, It's not just a ritual. It's it's not just something that we do because it's part of our clan to do it that way. We do it because we want the Son to be glorified, and He gets glory when the credit is given to Him for the answer to the prayer. And by the way, He will talk about prayer in chapter 15 and chapter 16 also, and you have to put all the verses in this section because they were all given together. You have to put all of them together to understand his instruction with regard to prayer. You know, when someone says that whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, you know. The world says, oh, Lord, give me a Mercedes Benz, see. That's not what he means because as he explains in chapter 15 and chapter 16, That asking in His name is the equivalent of asking according to His will and purposes. And isn't that if we're loving Him and obeying Him and wanting to magnify His name? Isn't that what we want too? We want His will. Beloved, I hope you've come to the place of brokenness at least to realize your will and mine is tarnished. And whatever we ask for, oftentimes is not in keeping with the Lord's will but we may not even realize it when we pray it. And so it's so important to get in line with I can remember one time hearing a brother report on a an answer to prayer and I was so th- I prayed in the Holy Spirit. I was so thankful because it it was in agreement with the Lord's will that time. But Paul says in Ephesians 6:18, pray in The Spirit, that is, according to the will of God. Same thing he's saying here. And that's why we'll often qualify, I hope you do, I do, my prayers, especially with regard to a healing or a particular need. Lord, if it's your will, because I don't know what your will is. Your will may be to take this person home because the rest of the family may come to know the Lord because of it. And that's a great thing, isn't it? And so we can find, you know, just release from pain, and release from suffering. That's how the world thinks. And we sometimes think that way too. And, you know, that's all we want. And if that suffering and pain leads to those coming to know the Lord and saved from a lost eternity, we kind of can maybe see it in a different perspective. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it, you see. Because our Lord Jesus is the Melchizedek King-Priest. At the Father's right hand. Hebrews will elaborate more on that. And we've been invited, as we saw in Hebrews chapter 4 this morning, right? Access to the throne of judgment. Access to the throne of grace that we might seek mercy and grace to help in our time of need. Beloved, He can do this. It says in Malachi, "Test me in this and see if it, see if I won't do it. Test me. I will do this. It's a great privilege, isn't it? And if the discourse stopped right there, I'd be enormously encouraged. But it goes on. It goes on in verses fifteen to twenty-four to provision, and in, in verses twenty-five to thirty-one to the prospect of peace, but in provision." In verses 15 to 24, this is the instruction with regard to the Holy Spirit. We mentioned, you remember, when we began the series, holiness. How would you define holiness? We thought of some of the wrong definitions of holiness. But in essence, holiness is loyalty to the relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, the Father the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And we get that particularly from chapter 17, verse 3, which was read this morning, wasn't it? This is eternal life. The Lord Jesus says, I am the life, right? So what is the life? Well, this is eternal life. That they may know you. That is, not know about you. Not know theology. That means study of God. Know about you. No, it means know you. A personal relationship. Like Adam knew Eve. And the one and only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. That is holiness. And to be loyal to that relationship, to guard it, to treasure it, to protect it, and to love Him. That's the essence of holiness. It's a relationship. So He begins in verse 15. If you love me, keep my commandments. Now that word keep, the verb terreo, has the idea it can be translated with at least four English words. I know you usually and I usually used to think keep, well he means obey. Commandment you give and you obey him. But it's not this kind of robotic mechanical obedience it, it's a it's a wonderful word. It includes the idea of treasuring his commandments, which is that he's using his commandments here purposely, but he'll talk about his word later. He's using them interchangeably to talk about the word of God, all 66 books, right? You'll treasure my word. You'll want to hide it in your heart because you treasure it, not because you're trying to win a, a formula or trying to win a debate or trying to win some cookie or a piece of candy. You're doing it because you treasure me. And it also has the idea of guarding. Well, it goes with the word treasure. Something you treasure, you're going to guard it, aren't you? You're going to protect it. You're going to keep it pure and clean. And it has the idea of submission, and then it has the idea of obedience. You see, it's a strong word he's using here, and it's a word he'll use all the way through the discourse because he'll use it several more times. If you love me, keep my commandments. See, in other words, you don't put the cart before the horse. (laughs) Doesn't work, right? All of the world religions say, "Keep the commandments and then love Him." Keep the commandments and then you know you're saved. All of the world they'll they'll define the keeping the commandments different ways, but Hinduism, Buddhism, Catholicism, all of these isms will all have that same approach. Which is putting the cart in front of the horse. The Bible says. If you love me. Keep my commandments. The Bible says. You need to be saved. And have a relationship with me. Before you can do anything for me. Any good in this world. You need to know me. And have a relationship. I.E. Be born again. Do you see how. Unique. Christianity is. You see how different it is from any other? And that's basically what our Lord Jesus was saying in verse 6, wasn't he? No one comes to the Father except through me. Through through me in what way? Through a relationship with me. Through a personal relationship where you know me and you care about me and you care about my things and you want to be with me. And and if it's early in the morning or late at night or midday, you want to talk to me because you love me and you want to be near to me. That's what relationships are about, right? Someone says, I really love my wife. And, and, you know, maybe once a month we'll we'll see each other as we pass. Well, is that a relationship? You know the old story of the young man that was courting a woman out in the country and he, and he said, I love you. I would cross the oceans to be I would do anything and if it doesn't rain next Wednesday night, I'll pick you up on the way to church. <laughs> and you begin to say, well, that's the conditional love that we're so guilty of. But to love the Lord Jesus with all our heart and soul, and mind, and strength. That's relationship. That's what he's talking about here. And I will pray the Father. Notice the order here. The respect. He says, I'm going to turn to the Father and ask the Father to do what? That he will give you another helper. That word helper, paraclete. Sometimes it's translated counselor helper, counselor, good words for that word. cleat, the one who comes alongside to help or hold up. That's the idea. Like a friend would when you really are about to crumble and you have someone to come alongside and help. Like the young man's father that the Olympics, what was it in 1992 when he pulled his hamstring on the last lap and turned four and crumbled and fell and his father ran out of the stands and helped him stumble and walk across the finish line. Nobody even knew who won that race. All they knew about was that scene. You see, it touched our hearts. We need a helper. He's not a crutch. He's a person. And he is with us and in us. So he's talking about the Holy Spirit and the giving of the Holy Spirit. I will pray the Father, He will give you another, that word another, in the Greek there are two words that translate another, another of the same kind and another of a different kind. This word another is another of the same kind, like me. See how specific the Word of God is and how precise. That He may abide with you how long? Forever. Forever. And notice one of His names in verse 17. The Spirit of Truth, whom the world cannot receive. Unless you're born again, you have no understanding or perception or reception of the Holy Spirit. And so the world is locked out here, but they're locking themselves out because the Bible invites them to come and receive the Lord Jesus, and then they will receive the Holy Spirit immediately. Right? Whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees Him nor knows Him. But you know Him. You know Him here tonight. You know Him. And He dwells with you. And the end of verse 17 will be in you. This is the new dimension of the new covenant that had never happened before up to this point. In the old covenant, remember... Even King Saul, who I believe was never saved, another Judas Iscariot type, a pretender, and the record, I think, can bear that out. But even the Holy Spirit came upon him, remember, and he even prophesied for a while, but then he tried to kill the Lord's anointed several times. The Holy Spirit came upon David. The Holy Spirit came upon certain prophets and priests and kings. But the Holy Spirit never indwelt any of them because He couldn't be given that way until the Lord Jesus was glorified. Right? And the Lord Jesus' glorification included the cross and the resurrection and the ascension. See, the the Father had a plan. The Son has a plan, and the Holy Spirit has that plan, and they're all working together in this. And when we understand that, we become more and more secure, don't we? We're safe. We're safe in Him. The Spirit of tr- now, why would He call Him the Spirit of Truth? He had just said, "I am the Truth, I am the Life, I am." Why the spirit of truth? If there's a spirit of truth, might there be a spirit of error? And indeed there is. If you look over in 1 John, the epistle in chapter 4, he says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit. I hope you know this. I was talking to some Christians recently in an assembly, and they didn't know this. And they're just receiving every spirit that comes along and believing anything they hear. Do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits whether they are of God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. And he'll say in verse 6, we are of God. We apostles, he means. He who knows God hears us. Here's the apostles' doctrine, the New Testament. He who is not of God does not hear us. So someone says, well, I don't believe that New Testament. I don't." Well, then they're not of God. Don't listen to them. Don't listen to their teaching for sure. And don't listen to their counsel and advice. And they're all over the Internet. They're all over the television. They're on the radio. And they're increasing. And with the technology we have, I think they'll continue to increase all the way to the rapture. So be alert and pray for our young people that are... We weren't bombarded like that. The the technology didn't exist. But they don't have a choice. They're growing up in a world where the technology is all over the place. And you can't be with them 24-7 to guard them like you'd like to be, like I'd like to be if I was a parent. They go to their neighbor's house and you don't know what they can get exposed to. They go to the library, I'm told. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of... Error. There is active error being sown in this world too. So you say, Well, I can listen, I can discern, I can I've been trained in the Bible. You're already dangerous. you're already putting yourself in danger. If you're gonna boast, remember Peter this morning? Misplaced self confidence? <laughs> Be careful. Be careful what you expose yourself to from the world. It, it, it's a luring thing, and it will gradually hook you and drag you in. I can give you name after name after name of people that were not seen that. One was a youth group leader years ago. I worked with him and his wife. And now he's a Buddhist. Denies everything. Denies he was baptized. Denies how he was saved. Denies his work in the youth group. And you say, well, that could never happen. Yes, it can. And it does. And I think back to discussions I had with him. I remember sitting with him at a Wendy's one time, and I said, I almost said his name, so-and-so, do you know the Lord as your Savior? I just felt provoked. He looked at me and he said, why do you keep asking me that, Tom? <laughs> but he didn't answer the question. Right? He just got angry. Why do you keep asking me that? Well, if someone's really born again, you, can't, you can ask me that all you want to, Jamel, and I'm going to keep answering you. It just, it's going to make me praise, Right? So that was a flag to me, and and there were other flags when you look back. But at the time, the elders and a lot of people missed it. But we're all human, and we want to think the best of people. So be careful. Guard your heart, beloved. The Bible tells us that continuously. So he says, I will not leave you orphans. I will not leave you without a family. Right? That's what, that's what an orphan is. An fo- orphan is a child that's abandoned by everybody. I'm not going to leave you abandoned even though I'm departing and it looks like I'm abandoning you and it did look like that. He says, I'm not going to leave you orphanized. I will come to you. Now that reference is most likely to his appearances after his resurrection. Remember Luke tells us in Acts 1, for 40 days he appeared to them in his glorified body, walked through the door Yet he could eat food and they didn't see the food going down through the middle of his body. So I guess it didn't look like a ghost or something like that. Met them on the shore, cooked fish for him, all these kinds of things. We only have a glimpse into that ministry that he did. And so in verse 19, a little while longer and the world will see me no more. And that's true. But you will see me because I live, you will live also. He's trying to. Encourage him, isn't he? I'm departing, but it's only for three days, right? Sunday night, they would see him. And at that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. He who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. And then notice this, verse 21, he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and... Manifest myself to him. Now that's an extension, isn't it? He's already repeating, If you love me, keep my commandments. And, and so we might, our brain might tune out and say, He's just repeating himself. No, he's adding to that now. I will, how, do, how will he manifest himself to them in the commandments? Well, as you read the Word of God... By the guidance and illumination of the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, Paul gives us a whole chapter on illumination and how the Holy Spirit reveals to us the deep things of God. And I'm not saying you're going to see an image, because Peter says we won't, having not seen him, we love him. But it's better than an image. When the Holy Spirit makes the Word of God come alive in our hearts, the spirit-to-spirit contact is more real than seeing a physical image, if you can believe that. But that's not all. <laughs> he goes on. Judas, not Iscariot said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? See, the Lord's making a distinction now. He's not going to manifest himself to the world like this. And verse 23, which is one of the highlight verses in this chapter, if anyone loves me. You know what it, why does he keep saying that? If you don't love him, you need to step back. In fact, you need to come back and hear the gospel, don't you? Anyone who has heard the gospel and believed that Jesus Christ died for them on the cross and doesn't love him, they miss something. Wouldn't you agree with me? Or they're a robot or something. (laughs) He died for you. That doesn't move you. That doesn't make you love him. So he keeps coming back to that relationship thing, isn't he? If you love me. He says, if anyone loves me, now he expands it not just to them, but anyone, that's including us in the church, he will keep my word. Now he says word instead of commandment, same idea. The whole 66 books. And my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. Wait a minute, Lord, you were saying at the beginning of the chapter that you're making a home for us in heaven, and now you're saying you and the Father want to make a home in us on earth. Yeah. (laughs) That's part of God's plan for his people. The entire Trinity of the Godhead dwelling in us by means of the Holy Spirit. (laughs) Powerful, huh? Like one brother put it, look, we have a high priest in glory interceding for us day and night. We have the Holy Spirit dwelling in us here. How can we miss? And yet we do. Peter will say in 2 Peter 1.3, we've been given everything we need for life and godliness in Him. Right? So the fault is not in the Godhead. The fault is not with the Lord. The fault is, like I told one, you need to get in front of a mirror, brother. (laughs) It's that person in the mirror that you need to look at. You're looking at everybody else. You need to be looking in your mirror a little bit. It's you. You're as close to God now as you choose to be. That may be harsh at first to hear, but every one of us, is as close to God now as we choose to be because he's made everything available. And he wants it. We're seeing his heart here. He wants us to feel, even in these bodies, that we know are sinful. And we know that they're corrupting. Anybody doubt that? Well, maybe some of the young children, they feel like they're getting stronger. But us older ones, we're all corrupting, right? (laughs) We're corrupting. A mirror will help with that, too, if you have any doubts but yet he wants to make his home in us. Now, that's rich in imagery. Anybody remember Boyd Munger's book, My Heart, Christ's Home? Remember that, David? 1958, InterVarsity put that out. It's a great picture. He uses a house in the various rooms of a house as a picture of the various compartments of our personality. See, we have our personality is full of compartments. Think of it as a dresser with all these different drawers. And we open drawer number one, and we say, Lord, I've, I've given you 100% of myself in full surrender. And really, in reality, we've given 100% of 10% of us, right? <laughs> and then we open drawer number two, and then we've give, given 100% of 20% of us. And I think, I know it sounds pessimistic, But I think most Christians that I've met have gotten, well, the Apostle Paul maybe even got to 80%, 100% of 80%. But most Christians probably don't even get to 50%. We hold on to these things for self that we want to control like we could control it better than God. So Boyd Munger says "You, you you give him the library, you give him your books, you give him the things you expose your mind to, the kitchen, you give him the place where you eat. What your focus is on, on appetites, the living room, the bedroom. And then he says, and you've got to give him the hall closet. That's how he ends the book. The Lord Jesus says, I can't stay in this house Lord, I have to go sit on the porch. Why, Lord? I want? He said, because there's something up there in that hall closet and it stinks. He says, well, I, I can't let you, I'm, embarrassed, I'm ashamed that you have the key to that closet. Well, you need to give me the key to the closet, and I'll clean it out for you. And he gives him the key. And he still will do that. He wants to make his home in every one of us and in every compartment of our being. But we have to let him. He's knocking, right, these doors of our compartments see how powerful this chapter is? And then I'll just skip down to verse 25 for the sake of time. These things I've spoken to you while being present with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you most things. He will teach you all things. Do you want to know where John got it? How he was enabled to remember these things and record them. The Holy Spirit will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. You see, this is how it happened. It was supernatural. And every book of the Bible is that way. These men wrote with their own being and their own personality as they were moved along like a sailboat by the Holy Spirit moving right through. That's what the doctrine of inspiration of Scripture means. He didn't negate their personalities. He used their personalities, and he wants to use your personalities and mine. He made us, and he wants to use our personalities. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. The world's peace at best is very temporary, isn't it? There's nothing in this world that gives us any permanent peace. But he says, my peace is permanent. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. You've heard me say I'm going away and I'm coming back. If you love me, there it is again, you would rejoice because I said, I am going to the Father, for my Father is greater than I. That is, he is spirit. I've confined myself to a body, see. And now I've told you before it comes that when it does come to pass, you may believe. I've told you before, so I'm demonstrating by prophecy that I am God, that I can see the future accurately. And when it comes to pass, you'll look back and say, you know, he told us what it was going to, and it happened just like he said. And fulfilled prophecy is one of the greatest ways to reach people in evangelism to show them where the Word of God said something, and it came to pass exactly like he said it. It's a I will no longer talk much with you for the ruler. He's, he is giving them already some really heavy truth, but the ruler of this world is coming, and he has nothing in me. Who did he mean? Um, in a council room up in the chambers of Caiaphas the high priest, Judas and the priesthood, were negotiating their little plan. and they're going to get together their band of men with swords and clubs. And cross over that Kidron Valley to arrest our Lord. The ruler of this world is coming. He's coming by means of people that he indwells. Satan. But that the world may know. And and this verse 31 summarizes the heart of love that the Lord Jesus has for the Father. Perfect obedience. But he says even that the world may know that I love the Father. And as the Father has given me commandment. So I do, even if it means crossing the Kidron and going to Gethsemane to be arrested and mocked in those ridiculous six trials, all illegal and crucified unjustly, mocked while he was even on the cross, laughed at, scorned, ridiculed. I still can't imagine it. For you and me. And if he hadn't done it, we'd still be lost. What the Father has given me commandment to do, so I do. Perfect obedience. Arise. Let us go hence. Beloved, let us arise and go hence in our lives for the Lord too. Let us be glad to love him first. Before you do anything for him, make sure you have a relationship with him. And then bring that relationship with you. Don't leave it back at the doorstep. Don't leave it back at the house. Don't leave it back at the prayer closet. You've got to bring that relationship with you. Don't leave it back at the the time of some great spiritual experience you had two or three years ago. That's great. But what about yesterday? What about tomorrow? What about today? Right? Let's keep it real. And I speak to myself too. But He is worthy. Amen. So Heavenly Father, we thank You, O Lord, for... The richness of your word, the person of your son, your definition of greatness. We've seen that this week in humble service. Your definition of love, even so I do, even if it costs me so much. Your definition, oh Lord, of relationship and holiness and life. Help us to grow and enter into these things this week, to meditate on them, to apply them in our lives, and to share them with others that you might bring into our pathway. And we thank you again for this local testimony here, for the years that it has gone on faithfully, loyally, to the person of the Lord and to the Word of God. And may that never change. We think of these young children that are quietly here, And the Lord will bless that quiet submission because that word of God is going into their heads and hearts, too. They're the future of this testimony. Let's bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, too. So we give you thanks, Lord, in the first day of the week. Help us to live for you and rejoice in you and love you more. So we ask in the Lord Jesus' precious name. Amen.